Hello, everybody. Uh, Dr. Rick Wallace. Hope everybody is off to a great start on what they're doing for the week. I hope you have a clear and concise vision of what it is you are attempting to accomplish. No matter what it is, understand that it is the seeds you plant in thought and practice that will produce the results that you experience. This is not about a life of ease. This is not about comfort. This is about what you plant and what you harvest. You're going to have to face down fear, uncertainty, opposition, hatred, and multitudinous other obstacles in the process of achieving the things that you desire in this life as an individual for your family for the community and for the race it is not again i repeat it is not about ease uh, i want to welcome those who are coming in uh, to another installment of the black wealth series and i'm going to explain what this is about and why I believe it is monumentally important. Um, first and foremost, I am just back uh, inside the box from taking a few days off to help my wife, Marion, celebrate her 50th birthday. And if you have read Marion's book, Ghetto's Forgotten Daughters, which is the story of her life, uh, and I mean transparent, in the most specific way, then you know why her reaching her 50th birthday is something worth celebrating. Anybody reaching 50 is worth celebrating, but for somebody that could have been stopped so many times uh, through the circumstances of life to be at 50 and be in a place of empowerment and empowering others is something worth celebrating. And so I celebrate my wife. Uh, if she happens to watch this, uh, baby, I love you. I enjoy the time we spent together celebrating your birthday. Uh, let's make some stuff happen. All right. Now celebrating what what's going on in my life. If you've been watching these, this series, you know for a fact that uh, this, I am right now uh, in the process, the beginning, the, the early stages of writing my 25th book. This is important for a number of different reasons. And under any standard, 25 books published is something to be proud of and worth celebrating. When you think about the substance of those books and what it has presented and brought to the reader, I think it is, again, worth celebrating. The particular purpose of this book is also worth celebrating and that is the building of black generational wealth uh what we have gone through from the moment of uh, uh quasi-emancipation in 1865 uh to where we are now in 2021 
uh, all of the mechanisms and machinations and obstacles and institutionalized uh, policies that have stood in our way. Some of the things that we have done as a people that have not helped, that has not helped. And what are we going to do in the future? This is a total bringing together of an idea that must require understanding and a shift in belief and practice in order to get it done. I don't just talk about numbers. I don't just talk about this isn't about this. This isn't just about investing, even though there will be a section in there about it. This isn't just about ownership. There's a segment in there about it. this isn't just about group economics. There's a session. This is about policy. This is about what we've gone through. I've talked about the black codes. I've talked about miseducation. Uh, today, I want to talk about something specifically called redlining. Uh, before I get into it, I want to uh, remind you guys that I'm doing something different for book number 25. I'm inviting my tribe, my community, those who have rode with me for a long time and those who have just joined in that see the work I'm doing and see value in it. I'm inviting you to uh, become sponsors for space in the book. And what, I, what we're going to do with those sponsorships is allow every sponsor to have their name published along with celebrating, commemorating, memorializing, or acknowledging somebody that's important in their life, somebody that has had an impact in their life from, from memorializing family members and coaches and mentors to acknowledging spouses and, and, and the like. Uh, you get to do that and it doesn't require a specific amount. Whatever you want to sponsor will give you an opportunity to share who you look up to, who you are thankful to, who you're grateful for. And again, 50 cent, a dollar, you're going to be published and you're going to get your thank you, your memorial, your acknowledgement. And some of the people who have done it already, some of the acknowledgements are, are, are beautiful to read. The people that have touched your life in some way are, are still touching your life. And the way it works is no matter what you sponsor, you will get your name published in the book and you will get a chance to memorialize somebody or to acknowledge somebody. Uh, if you sponsor $25 or more, you will get a signed copy of the book. If you sponsor $100 or more, you get a signed copy of a book and a dedicated page, meaning that your memorialization will have its own page. If you sponsor $500 or more, you will get the book, the dedicated page, and be able to submit a portrait of the person that you're memorializing. And there's a link in the uh, description box that you can click and go right to the page where to have a more uh, detailed explanation and a video explaining things. And I invite you to do it. It's a way of partnering with me to get this project through and also memorializing somebody that means a lot to you in a space where it will be locked in and uh, permanent. On that note, let's move on. This is another installment or segment in the Black Wealth series. Um, like I said, in order to truly understand the plight of Blacks and why we're in a position right now where the wealth, the median wealth gap, uh, the median household wealth gap is widening uh, between Blacks and whites. You have to understand the dynamic at play that contributes to it. See, we often get gaslighted into places and thoughts of 
it's it's been a 156 years. You think you think it's about time for you to get over slavery? Stop blaming slavery. That was 156 years ago. And first thing they do is that image will put off the supposition that after slavery, blacks had every opportunity that whites had. Blacks had no opposition that non-blacks had. So we were in, we were on equal footing, equal access, equal opportunity, and we've just squandered it. And stop whining about it. You've had all the opportunity in the world. And what they'll do is they'll parade those of us who have experienced a level of success uh, before the masses and say, if they can do it, you can do it too. But without talking about the accesses and the mechanisms through which those who do have it obtained it and will make it appear as if the masses have the same access. One of the things that I have been noted at, uh, for saying is that as long as I remain an anomaly amongst my people, I do not consider myself to be a success. Success to me would be not just obtaining something, not just achieving something, but opening the doors for the masses to do the same. If I am of a small portion and percentage of my people, and I'm not just talking money, I'm talking access, power, maneuver, maneuverability, impact, influence, and all of the like, which requires a number of different things, but definitely in the way of saying, hey, look, I've been able to do this, then there's still work I have to do. And so I would never stand in front of a brother uh, and who's on a minimum wage job and say, brother, you just got to do better without showing him the process and what it takes. Because see, my path to doing the things I've done wasn't the same path as my contemporary white, white counterpart. And the first thing I have to do is be honest about that. I've had to be two times, three times better. I had to be two or three times more resourceful. I had to be two and three times more patient. I had to show up and be willing to do things that they didn't have to do in order to get the same thing. And that's something that we've got to be aware of. I've talked about black codes. I've talked about education. I want to talk to you about redlining. Well, when it comes to institutional racism and the impact it has had on the economic uh, mobility of blacks or the ability or inability of blacks to collectively build wealth Redlining has played a major role. And one of the misconceptions about redlining is that it's an old thing. It's over with. It ended. Uh, what we can what, what I can tell you is as recently as 2010, uh, I believe it was the New York Times exposed Wells Fargo for practicing uh, policies that uh, negatively impacted people along socioeconomic lines that could be easily traced along the lines of race. And so here we are. But basically, right after slavery, the black clothes and one of the part of the black codes was that there were rules that govern uh, the fact that property could not be sold to blacks. Well, the Supreme Court came along and said that was unconstitutional. So then here came practices, practices and policies that were put in place that now governed how money would be lended based on uh, 
community fluidity development. And when the FHA, the the Fair Housing Administration came about, uh, the way that it governed it was through a uh, color coding. Uh, Green was ideal. green then that was yellow and you know it was declining and then that was red which was diminished value and based on these different color codings uh loans would be given out for housing loans for uh, other types of loans within the community but what happened was obviously you start to see that communities were being valued by a black presence. And so what happened is when redlining as it was seen then was outlawed, meaning that, I mean, basically, if that was a black person in a white community, just one black family in a white community, they were downgraded to yellow. Meaning it was going to be harder for them to get the funding and the financing. A lot of white hostility didn't come out of so much uh, black on white hatred. It came out of the lack of access of economic power for having black people present in their in their communities. So they became hostile and they forged these covenants with one another that they would not allow blacks to move into their communities. Now, on on a uh, let me get back to my notes. So then you have this situation where you've got. Uh, different economic policies being put into place, like I said, FHA and all that stuff like that. And then they're being governed and controlling who can get access to money. That's just a small portion. And that's the port that people don't get. Okay. So how did that impact? See, it's not just the fact that we're not in the ideal situation of building wealth. We're also on the other end of the spectrum that works against wealth. And that's expenditure, expenditure and expense. And see, While whites have expenditures, whites have expenditures on a scale in which their expenditures are more related to the value in which what in which that is that is being spent. So, in other words, when they do have to pay for something, what they're paying for makes more economic sense based on value. Here's the problem with uh, all of the policies that have blocked blacks from building wealth, specifically on what along the uh, idea of redlining where basically blacks have not been able to buy into more affluent neighborhoods especially black then how it's translated into poor situations and collective poverty now poverty in and of itself is extremely expensive people don't get that okay when you can't afford to buy into a better environment a better home uh i mean a better community uh, a more affluent community you're going to end up with poor schooling, higher crime rates, uh, less business opportunities, less job opportunities. Let's talk about some of that, how that plays out and why it has translated down the line into where we're at right now. So you don't get the home in a more affluent community because some kind of way you were blocked out. So now you got to buy a home in a less affluent community. The first thing you're going to end up doing is paying more interest in that community because of the risk involved with the investment by the lender, you're going to pay more interest. So you're going to pay more for a home that's worth less. That's the first thing. Already working against your ability to build wealth, no appreciation. 
harder to harder to find the appreciation value, harder to build a value spread in the property you own. First thing. Second thing, poor education. Now, poor education does a couple of things. It alienates black males. We talked about this in miseducation, alienate black black males, pushes them out of the school system before they graduate, increases the risk of them becoming incarcerated, not contributing to the community, not being able to build wealth and with a mark on their record that will stop them from receiving numerous opportunities. That's the first thing. Next thing is because it's poor education, it reduces the chance of matriculation. Matriculation is the enrollment into secondary higher education institutions. Now, while I am a firm believer that it doesn't require a secondary education, secondary educations play a major role uh, and have a contributing factor into the building of wealth because it creates access. Even if you don't end up working in the field in which you get to get to get the degree just in uh enrolling in a school increases your chances of fluidity so that's that's that, that's secondly you the chances of you matriculating are reduced drastically from a poor environment it just is doesn't mean that we don't do it i did it from there and many other people have done it but it reduces it is the numbers are uh, uh uh indisputable okay that's one thing the the fact that you're not doing that also uh places where you could get employment like remember we've gone through the deindustrialization of the inner city remember people in detroit black men in detroit didn't have to have a college degree black men in detroit could get a, a job at ford at at chevy at buick and all these different places and make enough money to literally support their families and live comfortable without being highly educated they they deindustrialize in so many other ways. They deindustrialize cities across America where black men were getting jobs and warehouses and other types of businesses, and they move those outside the sphere of the black community or completely out of the country altogether. So then, what does that mean? That means there are no good jobs in the community. So what do I have to do? I have a choice. I can either take a lower paying job in the community and not be able to support my family again, working against the ability to build wealth. Or I can look for a higher paying job outside of the community, but that comes with a cost of uh, fuel and other such and other uh, ancillary costs. And so, again, here we are again dealing with the same thing of not not only am I not able to work to build based off of what I can produce. It's also costing me and it costs more. I'm going to show you how it costs more. The cost of gas in poor communities are actually more expensive than the cost of gas per gallon in more affluent communities. It is. Okay. Second of all, places where you can buy healthy food in a poor community will not normally be your larger chains that will have food at a reduced cost because of volume. Uh, manufacturing and distrib distribution. So you're getting these small corner stores and all of this where you go in and get food or an independent grocery or a small grocery chain where the food prices will be higher. So now in order to be healthy, it costs you more than again, the counterpart that you're competing against to balance the wealth, uh, wealth and close the wealth gap. Again, something working against you. So it's not just what I'm not able to produce. It's also what it's costing me. Crime rates go up now because you can't afford to move out of the community. You are policed by the police department. The next segment I'm going to do is going to be on criminal justice. So now you're policed heavily. See, the protect and serve applies to the more affluent communities. 
Poor communities don't get protected and served. Poor, poor communities get policed, meaning that the, there's an increased risk of you being arrested. I just sit up and read a report earlier this morning where uh, artificial intelligence, quote unquote, uh, they've got this intelligence now that, that, that is able to de 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 uh, detect gunshots. A man simply driving across an intersection uh, near, I think, a, a few miles away from a vicinity where an actual detector, they have these little mics set up around the city. This happened in Chicago, around the city, and uh, it detected a shot the same night that a young brother got murdered. And this guy happened to be crossing the intersection, and the detector, uh, the, the, the detector that actually picked it up was several miles away. It was initially put down as fireworks because this was during the George Floyd um, demonstration. And uh, they were saying, OK, because those uh, those uh, protesters were firing our fireworks. So it was initially categorized by the system, the actual algorithms in the system as fireworks. An analyst went in and changed it to a gunshot. Then another analyst went in sometime later and changed the location of where it took place to fit in unison with where this car is crossing the intersection. Now, it took some work and this brother finally got out, but he spent a year, an older guy too, something like in his 50s, spent a year in jail because he couldn't afford to get out again. This is the situation of, of this process. When you get arrested, the chance of you making bail is less likely than someone who would maybe get arrested for something in uh in a more affluent uh community it simply is because again the financial flow a uh, cash flow or reserves aren't there the ownership isn't there for collateral and so again you have uh, the poor people staying locked up which means it's much more difficult but guess what happens when you get locked up and can't make bail guess what you lose your job you lose your job. Number one, because you got arrested. Number two, because you're not coming to work. Okay, so then you get arrested. Again, something that works against you being able to build. And so this is happening now. This is the fallout from redlining. This is literally something that's happening now. Again, uh, Michelle Alexander outlines it in her book, uh, The New Jim Crow. There is so much at play right now. And, and again, we get gaslighted a lot. You know, you know, again, slavery ended 156 years ago. No, slavery by its initial name and practice ended. We know for a fact that sharecropping and uh, convict leasing and, and vagrancy laws all contributed to many of us being right back on the plantation, working for nothing. So we know that slavery didn't really end. We know that we are now put in situations where we're often paid scraps to make things happen for corporations while corporations enrich themselves because of the fallout of these policies, benign neglect, uh, urban renewal. And then gentrification comes in on the back end. I was talking to Mary the other day and said, it's crazy that white flight turns around to uh, return to the scene of the crime. And what I mean by that, as we did start to move into white communities, when they can no longer block us, we start to move. What did they do? They packed up and they left. It's, we call it white flight. Why? Because they understood that it was going to impact 
their access to funds. They weren't going to be re able to rebuild in that community. What did they do? They flee. But pay attention to what happened. Yes, they fled. But they fled. You're moving out. And that, now you have suburbs. And they keep moving. And now you have uh, these places outside of large city, cities. Uh, while they all have the same, what, their own mayors and all this other stuff, they're still a part of the big city, the Metroplex, right? They're still governed by municipal, municipal policies, rules, and laws of the greater city. You know, in Houston, we have the Woodlands. We have, uh, uh, what we have? We have Woodlands, Katy, Richmond, uh, Missouri City, uh, Atascacita. And, and, and humble and so many more, but they're all here and they are the result of white flight, right? Okay, check out what's happened in the last 20 years. Those in the extremes decided they wanted back into the city because of the way the city was being built. So then they began to build up downtown. Downtown stopped just being a business district and they started building lofts in downtown. Now these lofts are for the affluent. Poor people can't afford them. So what happens? They start to build these lofts. And then from there, the surrounding areas began to be gentrified. And one of the first places it started to happen in Houston is a place that is traditionally historically black as far back as anybody I know can remember. Third Ward. And now they're doing it to Fifth Ward. But Third Ward, I'm getting, you know, I'm talking about Third Ward is where Trade of Truth and so many others, all these cats that you hear about come from. This is the hood. Now, in Third Ward, on the on the edges of the Third Ward, you got the University of Houston. Been there forever. You got Texas Southern University, literally blocks away from the University of Houston, walking distance. There's so much going on in that little area. But what happened? They start to gentrify. Now, Third Ward is no longer Third Ward. Uh, it's now Midtown and Uptown, and that's what's happening in Second Ward. It's you know all of the stuff around downtown, which were wards and traditionally uh, poor is now gentrified. Well, what happens with gentrification? Well, first of all, they do things to drive property value down. As they drive property value down, those with financial resources come in and buy property up for pennies on the dollar. Once they have acquired a large portion of the property and where they have controlling power, they now start to build in things that start to drive the property up. Now, here's the crazy thing. People who have actually owned property in this traditionally poor area are now starting to see property values rise. The problem with that is at a certain point, the property values rise at a level that they cannot afford to pay the property taxes on. So now something I've actually owned, I'm going to lose because I'm going to have my property foreclosed on or seized because of taxes I can no longer afford to pay. That's called serial force displacement in which people who are historically in a place are being driven out of a place and dispersed. Because as you drive people out of this enclave that has been traditionally black, you now push them out into a disbursement because they will not all end up in the same place. And then there's, there's a decreasing space for those who are displaced by gentrification. And so another thing that happens in, 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 in serial force displacement by way of gentrification, as you displace these people, they don't end up in the same place. They lose their what? Their block voting power. See, at least on a local level, they had power. Why? Because the councilman 
and the representatives that were a part that were elected in that district were accountable to that group of people, which were all the same background, having predominantly the same interests. Well, what happens is now you're over here and you're over there and you're over there. Now some of you are living in predominantly Latino areas, predominantly Asian areas, predominantly low income white areas, but there's no longer a large black collective. And that's happening around the United States as we speak. Gentrification is lethal to us as a people because it's literally pulling the lifeblood out of us what little we have. But gentrification comes in and it sucks out the life. And then what happens? They move in. And so what happened is it started with downtown loss. Then it moved into Midtown. And now what's happening? Those who are initially fled are returning to the places they fled from to reclaim them through gentrification. And the problem is, where are we fleeing to? Again, because we cannot maintain ownership we cannot gain footing and traction and ground in order to actually grab a hold to and pull ourselves free. See, this idea of wealth building is more than just numbers because, see, you can take the numbers, but if the policies in place don't level out, if you don't have the same access at the same rate, and I mean, you can take a black person with a 750 credit score and a white person with a 750 credit score. And I'm telling you, policy is going to dictate that they do not get the same financial lending opportunities. What New York Times exposed about Wells Fargo just 10 years ago proves that. There's always been a harder road to wealth building for blacks. So what you cannot do is buy into this 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 gaslighting that it's all on us now do we have some problems absolutely we've got to get rid of the com consumerism mindset we've got to get away from the idea that the way you build wealth is pretend you have it that's not how you build wealth you don't build wealth by getting the car that they drive see what you got to understand is there's a practice that goes along with this now not every there's exceptions and holes and everything no one group is a monolith in the idea that they all do things exactly the same down to a person that's not what i'm saying i'm saying as a general rule there's an idea that goes along with that go up there are ideas that go along with building wealth and the idea is that in order for me to buy this i must have these many assets this many uh assets in, uh, in liquid this many assets hard this many assets fluid and a, a, a certain percentage above whatever before I buy this. So in other words, before I go out and buy the $89,000 S-Class, I've got at least a couple hundred thousand dollars in reserve assets, minimal. Whereas in Blacks will go out and buy the $89,000 S-Class and literally have very little in way of assets to support that purchase and will depend solely on the income that they are generating to pay for it. That's a poor practice, a horrible practice, and it contributes to the inability to develop and build wealth. We are also training our children to be entitled without training them how to protect and generate their own. I am a firm believer that the when we get generational wealth white, right, this is how generational wealth will work. When we get it right, I will literally be able to pass along 
wealth that I built to my children and they will live off of the wealth I built while adding to it and building it and everything that they're working for and building will actually be for their progeny, their offspring. In other words, they will not live off of what they make. They will pass that on. In other words, everybody gets a head start. Everybody is birthed into opportunity. That's how you have to get. That's what's hurting us is that everybody's birth at, at point zero. We birthed into starting over. We work, we build. And even when we get to the point where we're doing, quote, unquote, pretty good for ourselves, you know, we are uh, high five, six figure salaries. Guess what we're doing? We're living at our means to show everybody we made it. And what happens is we're living at the means. And then when we birth kids, they are birthed into the same struggle we're birthed in. They're going to have to go into school. They're going to have to pay for their education. They're going to have to buy their first house on their own with no help. They're going to have to pay back student loans because they didn't have their education financed by their progenitor. And what's going to happen is they'll be in their thirties, mid thirties to early forties before they hit mid stride. And by the time they break free and really start seeing money, they want to live on it. So guess what they don't do? They don't prepare for the next generation. And the next generation is born at ground zero again. And we keep cycling this poverty over and over again. Yes, it's poverty. Yes, you may have generation after generation where everybody's made good money, but you don't have any wealth that you're passing down because you're not practicing wealth building mechanisms. So no, everything isn't on the system. Everything isn't on Insta, but don't ever let them tell you that it's all on you. And what you're going to have to ultimately get up, and that's what's going to be at the heel of this book, is how you're going to do it despite what's being done to hold you back. Again, you've heard me say this so many times. You're probably sick of hearing me say it, but I'll be saying it until we do something different. And that is, if there's no enemy on the inside, the enemy on the outside can do us no harm. We are vulnerable to their machinations because we haven't solidified who we are economically from a level of identity, from culturally on down the line. We are not in a place where we are holistically educating our youth. I'm not saying don't send your child to one of their institutions, but you better be filling their head and teaching them and training them and showing them who they are so that when they get there, they know how to extract what they need while spitting out what doesn't serve them well. You've got to train. That's your responsibility. That's not, Malcolm said it. Dr. Amos Wilson said it. Dr. Naeem Agbar said it. Dr. Khaled Muhammad said it. I've said it. And so many others. Stop trusting your enemy to educate your child. Under what common sense rule would the enemy educate your offspring to, to effectively compete against theirs? Tell me what that is actually going to happen. It's our responsibility to understand what we're working against, develop strategies, develop case in, uh, in, in, in places of action, and, and, and then take the action. We're so, busy, we're so busy trying to fit in. We're so busy trying to be accepted. We're so busy trying to prove to them who we are that we haven't even discovered who we are ourselves. That's a big part of the problem. 
We are in a situation now to where we've got to get it. That's why this book is so important to me, because it's not just about the numbers. It's not just about practices that build, because we're not operating on the same scale that they're operating. Am I saying that you can't get in the game right now? Absolutely should be in the game already. But that ain't what I'm saying. What I'm saying is if you're going to close the wealth gap, I keep telling you wealth is power. But wealth isn't the amount of money you have. Wealth is the. Uh, when it comes to the power associated by wealth, wealth is the amount of wealth power is the amount of power you have and wealth you have in comparison to what others have. Having a million dollars means absolutely nothing if the person you're competing against has a hundred million. And that's where we've lost ourselves is that look what I got. But what do you have in comparison to the people who are making the decisions about your life? People are making decisions about your life right now on such a grand scale. It's 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 frightening. People are making decisions right now that you are absolutely powerless against in most instances that are going to determine how long you live right now. And you either got a choice of playing the ideal or let me just get on board. It's got to be good. They say it's good. I'm got and, and then on the other side of saying I'm not going to do it. But what does that mean for me? If you don't have any type of power that can position you into a point to resist what you do not desire, you don't have power. Power is the ability to execute your desires without the help or the permission of anyone else. If you're not in a place you don't, if you're not in a place that you're fulfilled in, happy in, secure in, you should have the ability to move yourself to a space that you are. And if you don't, you're powerless. And that means you haven't acquired and generated and built the wealth necessary to produce it. And that means not just wealth in your bank account, wealth in your knowledge, wealth in your sense of self, wealth in your wealth in your self-esteem and your self-confidence, wealth in an understanding of who you are, where you come from and where you're supposed to be going. Wealth in your ability and power to educate your children. I'm telling you, I see something in the forecast that if you're not prepared will be devastating. So this book isn't just about another, hey, let's get rich. It ain't a get rich thing. This is like, hey, if we don't get this done now, we will be overrun, overpowered, mishandled. And what we thought would never happen will happen. All the signs are right in front of us. Rights that we thought could never erode are eroding so rapidly you can't keep up with it. And the sad thing is most of us are cheering it on and demanding it because we don't understand how things work. That's what's sad. The very thing that may supposedly made America special is disappearing. Fascism is starting to emerge in a more overt manner. It's always been there. It's always been a subtle influence. It's never been really up to us. But now they're starting to act like they don't care whether we know or not. That's a dangerous place to be. <laughs> Mary and I was watching a, a movie that we watch whenever we just trying to waste a little time. And the woman, the man's wife, he's he's committed to his wife. He's trying to work, but she's already done. She's moved on. She's with some other dude. 
and the level of contempt she has for him when she looks at him is like you can't help but pick up on it. You know it, you see it, and you recognize it. And it's that level of contempt, like, I really don't give a damn what you think or how you feel. Screw you. That's how this nation is starting to handle not just its black people, but those who are in no position of power. And if you want to have some footing, you better start building power because that's what's going to leverage how you and your offspring move in this world. Sitting up and complaining and holding signs and talking to politicians won't save you. And so I'm gonna leave it there. I'm gonna get ready to get off of here. Uh, like I said, I would love to have you guys be sponsors in this book. Sponsor your space and have it published with your name and the person you want to celebrate, memorialize, acknowledge, whatever. And just click the link, look in there, go to the page, and it's going to explain to you how uh, there's no uh, minimum on sponsorships. The person who sponsors with a dollar will have their name in that book. Uh, this book that I'm doing, I'm writing right now, the one we're talking about today, when uh, when it's published at the end of this year, uh, hopefully somewhere early uh, December, mid-December, when, when I've finished it and, I, and it's published, it will have the names of every person who sponsored, whether it's a dollar, whether it's a thousand, and it will have your name in it and who you want to memorialize. Uh, and the details, more the, the the details are in the description box and you can click and go to the page and see even greater detail and make up in your mind if you want to be a part of this thing. This book, 25, 25, and I'm ready to take it to a whole nother level. I'm just getting started. As long as I'm breathing, I'm still in the fight. As long as I'm breathing, you know, I, that, the, the idea of retiring there's nowhere on my thing. Now, do I want to be in a place where I've got my family and me where we are not in need of working so I can work for my passion? That's what I've been working on. That's what wealth is about. It's about living a lifestyle that you don't have to work to live the life you live. That's wealth. When you can literally live the life you live and the resources you have support it without you having to get up and do something every day to make it happen. That's what you should be working for. But you should never be thinking about quitting because if I'm breathing, I still have something to give. A lot of what well, I could tell you, which is my area of expertise is mental health. I can tell you that mental decline starts the moment you stop having purpose. The moment that you don't wake up with an intent and a direct purpose for that day, you start mental decline. That's why you get people like Warren Buffett in his 90s and still bright and going because he wakes up every day on fire for what he does. And you find that in a lot of people and other people retired and shortly after that, down to nothing. Why? Because life is about purpose. So I'm challenging every last one of you, make your life have meaning beyond what anybody else thinks. Make your life have meaning. I can't stress, I get so passionate when I start to think about it. a lot of us are just operating, existing. And that's how we're easily maneuvered because we're just trying to find a space. No, make your presence felt in this world. On that note, look, I'm going to get out of here because I can go all day on this. I'm going to get out of here. Like I said, I would love to have you as a sponsor. Look in that box. 
find out how you can do it. Let's make it happen. Uh, if not, just wait for the book to come out. Get it. Look at the principles. Look at what I'm talking about all the way from 1865 to 2021 and what needs to be done on the back end of that and how we get out of this thing. If we don't have a plan, we're doomed. On that note, I'm out of here. You guys have an unbelievable day.